as I was preparing uh, this service, uh, for this service, and the, the message I was thinking about, it must really be something to have a pastor for 36-some years, and then uh, he retires. And uh, I was wondering, what's it like the next Sunday, you know? It's, it's, it, it's got to be something of um, a loss, and uh, yet we know that our Lord God is the same uh, every day, never changes, and uh, so there would, I think, be something of an expectation as well. And I do hope that you're praying for your, well, right now I think you have an interim pastor search committee. Uh, you might have a search committee for a pastor as well, but I know they're hunting for an uh, interim pastor. So I'm not your interim pastor. If you're wondering about that, you can, uh, you know, take a sigh of relief there. Uh, um, but, you know, th- this is a great church. And... Um, I have some history in this church. In fact, I attended this church for 16 years, not just for a few years, and lived right up here. And um, my uh, daughter and son-in-law, who attend church here, uh, they were married in this sanctuary. And uh, my first wife's funeral was in this sanctuary. And if you go down to the cemetery and you walk through the gate, the very first grave... Uh, you will see my wife's name there. You'll actually see my name there. I, I don't know if I told you this uh, when I preached recently for your missions conference, uh, but when one of the dear, dear members uh, who everybody loved, we all loved him, uh, Lloyd Strickland passed away, uh, I came, of course, to that funeral, and I was actually standing on the place where I'm going to be buried. And uh, one of the elders of the church, he was looking at that, and he thought, you know, I haven't seen Paul for a while. I, I didn't know he died. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he looked over at me, and he said, Paul! <laughs> he was, I don't know, surprised I'd come back from the dead or something, you know? So um, that's a little bit of the history we have here, and we're delighted, absolutely delighted to be here. And our plan for the first 15 weeks here, if we can pull it off is to preach through the book of Philippians. Uh, I will preach, and your assistant pastors will preach, and there are 15 sermons uh, in, in this uh, um, series um, with titles. All of them have titles like Confidence in Christ, Victory in Christ, Security in Christ, and so on. All of them are in Christ except the first one, this one. As you see, this one has a rather boring uh, title to it, and that is the introduction to Philippians. But I hope that it's not boring to you. So if you will turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, I will read Paul's introduction to his letter to the church at Philippi, the first five verses. Hear the Word of God. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, and every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 
the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Father, a very important aspect of our worship is that we come to hear you speak to us through your word. And we've already said this is your word to us. This is the word of God. We don't take that lightly. Because while this is a book and there are words on a page, it is not simply a book. It is your living word. It's your living word because it was produced in the first place through the direction of your Holy Spirit. In this case, by the pen of Paul. As he wrote to the beloved church, Uh, in Philippi. But that same Holy Spirit is here right now. That Holy Spirit can take that word which he inspired and apply it to our hearts and to our lives this morning. And so that's what we ask for. We want to hear from you. And so we pray, Father, that you will minister to us and speak to us through these few verses. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first question I would ask you is, why study Philippians? Uh, I used to jokingly say that I've preached, well, it's not a joke, I've preached more sermons out of Philippians than any other book in the Bible. I've actually written two devotionals on the book of Philippians. But I used to jokingly say I tried to become an expert in the book of Philippians because I knew I wasn't very smart, and so I thought I'd better find a really short book, you know, and then just spend a lot of time in it. And uh, that's what I've done. And I really have uh, just loved this book and preached from this book. Um, If you are going to want to nail down your theology, you'd probably go to Galatians like Luther did, or Romans like Calvin did. Uh, That's where you would go to really get your systematic theology. But Philippians is a little bit different. Philippians, to me, is a book that takes the systematic theology and says to us, through this letter to the church in Philippi, this is what theology looks like when it flows through your life, when it's part of your life, when you live it. This is then what it looks like. It's really taking your theology and making it part of your daily walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's how the scriptures shape and mold the way you think, how that world and life view that you have comes to fruition in your life, how you deal with problems and difficulties in your life, how you really try to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ on a daily basis. Put it in the simplest way, I would say that the book of Philippians is a book that says, okay, life's not always easy. We live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world. There are a lot of difficulties. And if that's not bad bad enough, we've got problems of our own. You see, not only is the world fallen, we're fallen. And we deal with sin not only on the outside, but we deal with sin on the inside as well. And this book really, in my mind, says this is what it looks like to live your faith. This is what it looks like to take a magnifying glass to your life and say, what does it look like 
to be in the Lord Jesus Christ right now at this particular time in my life. I also think that it helps us a bit to see what the heart of Jesus looks like. Because you see the heart of Jesus flowing through the heart of Paul as Paul walks with the Lord, as Paul attempts as much as he can to live a Christ-centered life. Now, saying that, I want to say that this is important. This idea that your theology's got to live, uh, that it can't simply be a cognitive uh, knowledge that you have that you can pass a test on or you could look good in a Sunday school class or something like that, or if somebody asks you what does the Bible teach, you could tell them. You see, all of that doesn't count unless it makes a difference in your life. If it doesn't really impact you. Theology that is not lived is basically no good at all. The purpose for our doctrine, the purpose for our theology is that we might know God better, that we might know God deeper, that God might become a more um, central, let's just say he would become our life, really, not just the center of our life, but that it would become our life entirely. Why do you study the Bible? Well, um, certainly we want to study the Old Testament stories. We see how through the Old Testament stories, God comes to us as he did to those saints of old, Um, how he fulfills his promises uh, to us. Uh, We go to the Gospels to see how God has revealed himself in his son, the incarnation, coming, born in a manger, living here on this earth 33 years, dying on a cross, resurrected from the dead, ascended into heaven. In fact, gives us four different perspectives, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, of that aspect of the Bible. And then, as we see here in Philippians, God saves a brilliant Pharisee, but a very hostile Pharisee. I think you know that. He was on his road to Damascus to kill Christians, but uh, God saves him. By the way, I love that story because Sandy and I, we have a long list of covenant children that are unbelievers. And they're very, some of them seem very resistant, even to their parents' testimony and so on. So sometimes I remind God, I say, God, if you could save Paul, <laughs> you could save anybody, because he had to be the most unlikely uh, person to be, uh, become a Christian ever. He himself says, I was the chief of all sinners. But God saves him. God teaches him teaches him the gospel in ways uh, that he can then express it to us. Um, uh, For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. You study the Bible so you can know all those things, of course. But you study the Bible most of all so you can know God. So you can know God personally in your life. Today, 
that all these things that you know become alive. Jonathan Edwards, who, by the way, uh, even, even Yale University, uh, you know, says is the smartest man that ever lived in America, although they don't believe anything that he taught, but they uh, have a huge section of their library uh, just dedicated to him alone. But listen to what he said. He said that the gospel must filter down to the cracks and crevices of your life, to the cracks and crevices of your life, and fill them up. And you see, that's what I'm emphasizing here in Philippians. To me, that's what Philippians does. Philippians takes these truths and says, this is what it looks like when they do filter down into the cracks and crevices of your life. There is no value in good theology. There is actually no value even in um, learning biblical truth if it doesn't penetrate down into your life shape your life, lubricate the relationships of your life, and so on. Maybe I can bring this really down to where you're living right now. Why did you come to church this morning? Well, maybe because your friends are here. That would, I hope they are, and uh, that's important. Uh, maybe you came because there's great music um, and uh, my children keep telling me how great it is. Uh, every Sunday when we talk to them in the afternoon, they say, you should have been there this morning. The orchestra was great and so on. Um, uh, maybe uh, you hope to hear a good sermon. Uh, I hope you're not doubting that now at this point, uh, but uh, maybe that's why you came. There could be a lot of reasons you came, right? What was the most important reason you came because you wanted to meet God? That's why we come to worship. We were made to worship Him. This is a worship service. He invites us to come into His presence. When we come, He's here waiting for us. And that's the kind of book that Philippians is. We come here because we want to know God better. And uh, Paul put it in this book, and we'll see this in a few weeks, uh, but in chapter 3, that's a chapter where he actually gives his pedigree. He actually says, you know, if you think you people got something to brag about, I got more to brag about than you got to brag about. And then he lists all of that. But then he says this, but it's worthless. See, just what I've been saying. It's worthless, except for one thing that I might know Christ, that I might know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. So, let's then take a look at this salutation that we have, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to the saints in Jesus Christ, who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you would expect in any salutation, right, that you would find out who's writing and who they're writing to. And we've got it right here. Paul is writing, sort of with Timothy, uh, his number one uh, um, associate in uh, in evangelism. Uh, And uh, he's writing to the church at Philippi. So we got Paul and 
Timothy, who he wrote two letters to, and we've got the church in Philippi, the first church planted in, uh, in Asia Minor, in, in, in Europe, uh, when he got that invitation through a vision, come on over to Macedonia. He was going to go further in to Asia Minor, and, and, uh, and the Holy Spirit led him to go over to Philippi and to plant a church. But you see, if you'll notice, Paul is mentioned once, Timothy's mentioned once, but who's mentioned three times? Christ Jesus. And to me, that establishes right away what this book is all about. Remember I told you all of the lessons are going to be about in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, 14 of them, if in fact, again, we can uh, pull that off. But the fact that in the salutation, the Lord Jesus Christ is mentioned three times, says to me something important about Paul's life, and it should be important about our life, and that is that there should be only one foundation to our life, or one center to our life, and that is Christ himself. You see, the scriptures themselves, the gospel itself, is never about us. It's always about him. It's never about what we do. It's about what he's doing to us. Even in the Christian life, where we make progress, it's not so much our progress that we're making, but it's his progress that he's making in us. You get that? Doesn't mean that we don't have responsibility, and I want to say that I've been accused sometimes of preaching antinomianism because I preach a lot about Focus on Christ. No, we need to be 100% engaged in the spiritual life. But I want to tell you, it's not your life. It's Christ's life that's lived in you. Um, and even as Paul greets the church at Philippi here, he's saying, you can't live the Christian life yourself because it's not your life. It's Christ's life lived in you. You see that? The reason you need Christ at the center of your life is because the Christian life is his life. That's why it says, um, in where, where, uh, um, where Jesus says in chapter uh, 16 of John, you know what? It's better that I go away. Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> I've thought a lot about that. Every time I read that passage, I think, whoa, you know, I would like it if Jesus were here right now. I think I'd be better off if he was here, but he says no. Why? It would be better off, if it's going to be better off that I go away because I will send another comforter. Not a better comforter, just another comforter. Why? Because that comforter is going to come and live within you. In other words, I'm going to live within you. I'm going to live through you. That's the emphasis that I get out of this introduction where Christ is mentioned three times. Um, Jesus is really saying, and Paul's saying, that um, we belong to Christ, and Christ lives in us. You know, there's a, a little hymn, Jesus, my Lord, will love me forever. From him no power of evil can sever Uh, Now I belong to him. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. That should be our life. That's our life. That's the emphasis I get out of 
three times mentioning Christ in the very beginning of the letter. Now, the good thing about the Bible is it never leaves us just hanging. So, how do we do that? I mean, what can help us here to see how we can better put Christ at the center of our life? How this can become a reality so that the gospel can filter down into the cracks and crevices of our life. There are three words in this salutation and, and a beginning text that I think are helpful. The first is in um, the very first verse, and it's the word servants. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to know that the, the word servants here, in my mind, is not a very good translation. Um, the word in the Greek is doulai, uh, which actually is slave, and it's the lowest kind of slave uh, in the Roman Empire. Uh, at the time that Paul was writing this letter, about 33% of all the people who lived in the Roman Empire were slaves. And in Italy itself, um, it was about 20%. And if you were a doulos, you owned nothing, not even yourself. You belonged lock, stock, and barrel to somebody else. Uh, there is actually another word uh, in the New Testament for servant, dekainos, from which we get the word uh, deacon. Um, and uh, if that word were here, that's how you would translate it, servant. I would read this as Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus. Now, why is that important? Because if Christ is going to be at the center of our life, we have to understand that We've got to surrender ourselves to him. We've got to give up ourselves to him. That may not be attractive to some people because they say, who wants to be a slave? But spiritually speaking, the Bible is very clear. You are a slave. You're either a slave to sin and self or you're a slave to Christ. That's the only options that we have. And by the way, most people choose the first. Most people choose the religion of the Garden of Eden. If I eat of the fruit of this tree, I can be my own God. I can be in charge of my own life. I heard a, an interview just recently. Uh, the actress was Rachel Ziegler, and uh, she is the new Snow White. If you haven't, I know you haven't seen the movie yet because it doesn't come out the next year, uh, but they were interviewing her and uh, she, she, was, she said, you know, uh, this is not like the old Disney. I thought, boy, I bet it's, I bet it's not. Um, no, she doesn't get saved by a prince. There's no true love. She doesn't find true love. Guess what she finds? And I don't even have to tell you, do I? <laughs> she finds herself. She finds her own place in life. She becomes a leader that she knows she already is, and so on. Um, now, that's the religion. In fact, that is the foundation of every religion except Christianity, basically. You are at the center of your own life. 
every other religion in the world actually has that foundation. Every other worldview, every other worldview except the Bible has that foundation. But I ask you this, has any, any people ever been better off with that religion or that idea? Never, never. People's, people uh, uh, and cultures that gravitate towards Christ are the only ones that actually flourish. Those that are self-absorbed decline into misery and decay. Um, Coming to the end of yourself, that's the only real solution there is to life. You might ask yourself, where, where, I mean, you look at our culture today and it's haywire. And you say, how could people be so foolish? I, I literally do. I mean, I, often in the morning, I'm looking at the news, and I say to Sandy, how can they believe this stuff? And, and I even say sometimes, I don't think they really do believe this stuff. It's not possible. Girls can't be boys, and boys can't be girls. You know, that, that just doesn't work. Um, where they get that idea? Well, think about it. If you're at the center of your own life, if you, in a sense, have taken the place of God then who determines what's real? You do. If there's no absolute, then you are the absolute. But you see, God has called us to be, to be bondservants, slaves, slaves as it were, to him. And in that, we find freedom. We find the, the ability to flourish, to, to grow, The more we discover God, the more our lives begin to take on the shape and the hue that they were intended in the first place. Where does your daily world and life begin? Um, I hope it begins with the idea that I belong to God, lock, stock, and barrel. God, this life belongs to you. This day belongs to you. Whatever comes to being belongs to you this day. God, this day I need your mercy. I need your grace above all else. The second word we see here is peace. And uh, in verse 2 it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, first of all, you need to know that's not a throwaway term for Paul. How many letters did Paul write? Thirteen. How many times does he introduce uh, that letter with those words in the salutation, grace and peace, 13. <laughs> so he uses it in every single letter. That in itself should tell us these two words must be awfully important. But peace reminds us of our status before God each day. Um, the Bible teaches us that God is holy, that God can't even look on sin. Habakkuk 1.13, your eyes are too holy to look on sin. And yet, God looks at us, us sinful people, us fallen people, and he says to us, you are as righteous as I am. You are as holy as I am. Not because you are, but because I have declared you to be righteous and holy. I have given you my son's righteousness, and I've given him your sin. That's the great exchange And we live that every day as well. An illustration I like a lot is from a 
Vietnam vet named David Roever. David Roever, during the Vietnam War, had a phosphorus grenade explode right next to his face, and his face was just burned terribly. And uh, the first time his wife saw him when she came into the hospital room, her name was Brenda, and he said, oh, Brenda, I'm so sorry. And she said, why are you sorry? And he said, because I'll never be beautiful. I'll never be beautiful for you again. And she said, oh, Davy, don't worry about it. You were never beautiful anyhow. <laughs> and he said, that's when the psychological and spiritual healing in my life started. Think about it. Jesus says to you, you're beautiful, not because you are, but because I say you are. Because you are in, you are in my son. And everything I see in him, I see in you, and everything that belongs to him belongs to you. That's the reality of your life. You see what a difference I can make in your life? What a difference this day can be, no matter what's happening. It is a great day because I'm at peace with God. God looks at me and with the greatest fatherly love of all, he embraces me and says, Son, you belong to me. You have the position of my great son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then... The second word is peace, grace, and actually it says grace and peace, but the third word here is grace. I have to tell you, it's my favorite word. <laughs> um, my, my testimony is that uh, I've been a Christian all my life, and uh, uh, I went to seminary, became a preacher. I was successful. I won't tell you how I was, but I was. But I had a nervous breakdown two years into the ministry. Probably because I worked seven days a week, 14 hours a day. Probably one of the reasons why I could say I was successful too, you know, because we're talking about numbers. Numbers. But at that point, I realized there's something wrong. <laughs> I didn't think there was anything wrong with Jesus. Never doubted that he was my savior. Never doubted that he was the second person at Trinity. He's never doubted any of that. I never doubted the Christian life. I just doubted Paul Koistra. Something wrong with him. And I began to study the Bible. Now you can go to a Christian bookstore and you can buy about five books on grace. In those days, you couldn't buy any books on grace. You bought books that talked about, you know, how to live the Christian life, how to be happy though married, you know, all kinds of books like that. Um, and, uh, but in those days, people weren't even preaching grace. It was a strange time, even in the evangelical church. But I began to study the Bible, and as I studied the Bible, I would see where God was telling me how to live and things to do and things I had to think about and so on. And the, God, and the Bible has no problem telling you stuff. It tells you all kinds of stuff. But what I noticed was it hardly ever tells you what to do before it tells you who you are. You know, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me, but it first says, but I am the Lord your God that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I'm the God that saved you, you see. 
And I began to see that the foundation of the Christian life is grace. As I've already said, it's not what we do, it's, it's what He does. You know, I went to Covenant Seminary as the president, and we would have cha- chapel in those days five days a week, and so I would uh, preach quite often because the professor didn't want to preach. They, they thought their sermons had to be perfect. I thought I could just give whatever my devotion was that morning, that morning, and so I would do it. And um, one, one day, uh, uh, a fellow, his name was David uh, Ludwig, and he's passed away now, but uh, he wouldn't mind me telling you his name. David was a second year, uh, I mean, a second career student. He had a grown family of teenagers sitting in the front row with him. They homeschooled. Uh, By the way, you know, the the front row is actually the second row because nobody hardly ever sits in the front row. Um, But he'd be there with his wife and his three children. And uh, one day he comes out of the chapel last because I suppose he was up front. And he looked, he got me right, got right in my face and he says, Dr. Koyster, is there not anything you can preach but grace? And I said, well, David, there's nothing to preach but grace. That's all there is. Everything we have from God has been given to us. We haven't earned it, and we haven't produced it. It's been given to us as a gift, a free gift of his grace. Some years later, by the way, he, I didn't convince him that day. Uh, but some years later, Sandy and I were out in Salt Lake City where he'd moved. Uh, he was in very poor health. He was in a wheelchair. And he, and he came up to me uh, at the door after the service. Couldn't get out of the chair, but he looked up at me and he said, It's still true. There's nothing but grace. Now I want to tell you, I almost cried. I almost cried because it is so true. Whatever is happening in your life, God is there. You know, in, in the fourth chapter that we're going to look at later, uh, in the fifth verse, after Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, he says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is at hand. And I love that little verse. It's almost, a lot of people skip over the first part and the second verse. Part of it, don't be anxious about anything but by prayer and petition and so on. But I love that little verse or that, those, those words right in the middle there. Um, like your gentleness. To me, that is don't get all steamed up. Don't, you know, don't sweat it. God is at hand, God's in this. That's the kind of grace that we, that we have in our life. This should be our whole life. Our whole life should be predicated on what I receive daily from my Savior who lives within me through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, remember again I quoted Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved by faith. And not even the, not even faith is a gift of God. Not even the faith is of yourself, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Think about that. Not even the faith is of yourself. It is a gift of God. I love Psalm 23. Pray through it many mornings, almost every morning. Starts with just those words, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord's my shepherd. Today he's my shepherd. Um, 
God supplies what we need, and any other doctrine is straight from hell. One of the great Puritan preachers said this, any holiness that comes from self-strength carried on by ways of self-invention unto the end of self-righteousness is the soul and substance of all false religions in the world. Do you hear that? Any religion that tells you that what you have in any way comes from something you have produced or something you've created comes straight from hell. It is the sole substance of all false religions. I'm in the middle of reading a biography I've read several times already, Helen Roosevelt's He Gave Us uh, he gave us a valley. She went to the Congo as a, as a missionary, a medical missionary. And uh, she was there during the uh, independence uh, uh, of the Cong- uh, Congolese people and then the revolution. And it was a terrible revolution. And she was uh, taken captive along with several young nuns by the Simbas uh, rebels. And uh, they were treated uh, by, by those men like men can treat women. I won't go into those details. You can picture it for yourself. But one day, one of those young nuns was thrown back into the room, and her co- clothes were all torn, and she was just devastated, and she was weeping. And uh, Helen went over and put her arm, arms around uh, this young lady, and the and, and, uh, uh, young nun said, I'll never be clean again. I'll never be clean again. And Helen, with her arm around her, said, listen, we were never clean in the first place. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are pure forever, pure for eternity. That's what Paul is trying to say to here as he talks to us about being bondservants who have received the peace and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you, where are you today? I don't know. Maybe there is somebody here who is religious. You come to church. You've come to church often. Yet, your faith has really been a personal faith in yourself. You've realized that, by and large, you have thought about your relationship with God by what you produce by how good you can become in yourself, how you can impress him. And as this quote I just read says, that's a false religion, and you need to flee from it. And I just want to invite you. What a beautiful thing it is, the invitation of the gospel. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Seems so easy, doesn't it? But it's not. And it's not because giving up on ourselves is impossible without the help and the work of the Holy Spirit. If that's you, let me invite you to receive Jesus today. Come to faith today. If you want to talk to me after the service, I would love to talk to you and even pray with you. If you're a believer, don't we all fall into the trap of looking at ourselves of thinking I'm, I've either got to be good or I'm not good enough, of failing to, to, to keep our eyes focused where they should be. As Paul introduces us here three times, Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, he's our life. 
You see, that's what I'm inviting you to do every day, to begin every day focused on your Savior and realize that through the power of the Holy Spirit, He's going to live His life in you and through you this day. That's the invitation. What a blessed invitation it is. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you. It is a rather simple introduction, but we've seen, like most of the Bible, even the things that seem simple are so loaded with truth, and that's because it's your word. It's your word to us. Now, we ask you to speak to us. You have spoken to us. Let these truths sink down deep into our lives so that they literally do shape and mold how we think this week, how we live this week. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.